Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, I have Aaron Wise, a co-director of the organization Seeding Sovereignty. I have had the pleasure of knowing Aaron for a few years. Aaron came and taught at my mastermind mentorship program last year, a workshop about decolonizing wellness. Aaron is an incredible activist, storyteller, and I am very grateful to have them on our podcast today. Please enjoy. Go check out Aaron's work. Check out Seating Sovereignty after this and let me know what stood out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm here today with Erin Wise. Welcome, Erin. So good to see you again. Nice to see you, Guazzi. Don't show everybody. Thank you for having me. Mm. So I met Erin a few years ago, and since then, I've had the pleasure of like getting to know you over time. And um, I'd love to just hear where you're at now in terms of like what you're up to, what's exciting you, letting the audience know a little bit about who you are and, and what you're into. Perfect. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, Dunjo Gwatsi, everybody. My name is Erin Wise. I am currently speaking to Alexandra from Tiwa Territory, which is known as so-called Albuquerque in so-called New Mexico. Um, I am currently a guest from the Hickory Apache and Laguna Pueblo Nations, which are neighbors to um, Southern Tiwa Territory and Northern Tiwa Territory. Um, and right now I am the co-director of an organization called Seeding Sovereignty. We are an indigenous queer-led organization. Um, we are not an all-indigenous collective anymore. We are, um, you know, open, um, you know, as a collective. Um, we are all people of the global majority. Um, myself and my co-director are both indigenous. Um, like I said, I'm Hikaria and Laguna and uh, Janet is Muskogee. And right now um, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary last month of providing um, COVID relief and mutual aid to our community and the 21 tribes of New Mexico. Um, so that was a big feat, realizing how much we had accomplished in a year. And right now I'm currently working on um, 
COVID safe revamping of my storytellers program, which is working with um, indigenous queer youth of the global majority who have stories to tell that want to tell them from their first narrative experience, um, not having them extracted for their communities. So it's nice to be here to be able to share and kind of model that a little bit for them, hopefully. Ah, amazing. Yeah. Seating sovereignty is, it's been a pleasure to just watch you all grow to, uh, you know, to see all of the incredible projects you all have been doing in, especially in the past year. Um, and to, you know, just witness the impact as well through social media, which is a very small window. So it's kind of like someone just, you, the impact is like the same as someone tapping my arm, but like the real impact is like really real, but like just experiencing um, it, via social media has been like, oh, wow, they're, they're just like doing so much during this time, um, which is awesome. So congratulations to that, to that year, year mark. Kind of like a clusterfuck of a year and then we got through it and we were just like well we we did it you know yeah yeah and it seems like that even through the clusterfuck you guys had the you know the sort of wherewithal to organize really well and um not that for for people that also you know couldn't do that or weren't able to do that it's understandable but it's it's been beautiful to watch how people have come together in certain communities um so I'd love to just start by hearing, and I know this is a little bit of a shifting gears, but like the context that I've met you in and experienced your work and has been um, more entering into the discourse, which I know we will today on um, decolonizing wellness, decolonizing uh, spiritual practice. Last year, we were so lucky to have you come and do a masterclass for a year-long program that I did. And it was really just, you know, very deep, meaningful, potent, and moving for everyone involved. And I'm going to ask you a different kind of a question to begin, <laughs> which is, I would love to hear an experience that you've had this life where you feel like you've been touched by God, goddess, divine, um, source, uh, whatever you choose to call that great mystery that um, somehow landed us here on this planet. I'd love to hear, it can be a big, big story, long story, tiny anecdote, we'll take it. Perfect. Um, so when you had first talked to me about this, I always share stories about my grandma and people tell me, you know, like, oh, they're so wholesome that, you know, you talk to, you know, your grandma, or you talk about your grandparents in such a lovely way. Um, but since they're all gone now, I feel like it can be a little more like honest and open. So, you know, in, in ways that I probably wouldn't have shared about, you know, in the past and with respect to them, you know, one of the biggest things that, I, you know, have taken away from the last, I don't know, five or six years or so is um, how much I've lost my ability to lucid dream. Like I'm not able to lucid dream, um, especially post Standing Rock. Like it just seems to me that like one of my trauma responses has been to just not let myself slip into an area where um, even though previously I had been able to walk myself out of situations, now I'm just not in the same place. Um, and so backing up from that, um, before I went to Standing Rock, 
I um, had lost both of my grandmothers. So the last of my grandmothers that were alive um, passed away and I, I took it as a very deep hit because I was raised by them on the reservation and I was really very like attached to them, very, very close to them. And there was this point in time where my friends, I think, got a little bit concerned about how I was behaving and how I was coping maybe or not, you know, facing the reality of the fact that they had passed away. And so they organized a camping trip. We went on what happened to be like the windiest day of the year. Um, it was just like incredibly hard to pitch tents, incredibly hard to set up camp, but we did it. And somebody at one point just like popped out and they, you know, looked at me and they said, Aaron you need a reset. And I remember thinking like, I don't know what that means. I'm, you know, out here in the middle of nowhere. Um, there were a couple of people I didn't know super well, but it was a good, good friend of mine who I trusted, who, you know, knew my cultural experience, my background. And they opened their palm and it was just a little bit of mushrooms. It wasn't like a ton of mushrooms, but it was just a little bit of mushrooms. And I ate them and we had a wonderful afternoon watching the sun change. And um, just before, you know, sunset, I remember like I'd been feeling this emotion just kind of building in my chest all day, looking at everything. Everything was beautiful. It looked like an ad, you know, for something like they had made it just extra beautiful or that creator had just decided that day, you know what, the earth is going to be popping and you're going to love it. And, you know, it's not just the mushrooms, it's me. And, you know, I was walking around and I was like thanking plants and I was thanking the trees. And I remember like peeing on the ground and being like, I'm so sorry, but like, I hope that that helps something in some way. And, you know, just going about my life on mushrooms and all while feeling this feeling build up in me. Um, and I went and I walked away from my friends. I remember walking into the trees and just everyone, you know, saying, don't go too far. Cause I was wearing like a camouflage hunting jacket. I was really into like my hunting gear at the time. And I was like wearing this hunting jacket and no one could see me like save for my head because everyone was on mushrooms and everything was kind of swirly. And I remember sitting in the middle of the forest and there was a big open field surrounded by trees. And it kind of looked like a fairy ring, but with these huge pine and I remember just like pouring my heart out, like just all hands on the earth, just crying my heart out, like hands and knees, just, you know, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. And I was just crying for my grandmas and crying for the people that we'd lost and crying because our land was something we could only visit and crying because, you know, a million different reasons. And I just remember all at once hearing all of their voices simultaneously and just hearing them say, we're right here. And I looked up and the entire ring that I was around was just like exploding in color and emotion and feeling. And I could just feel their arms, you know, gripping around me and they were holding me and they were hugging me. And I don't remember entirely the entire conversation, but I remember sitting there having an exchange where I was talking to them and I couldn't see them and I couldn't feel them. And in lucid dreams, you know, I could place people in my dreams, but not anybody that had passed away. So if I missed a friend, you know, I'd go visit them when I was sleeping. But when I missed my moms, it wasn't like I could just slip away into sleep and, you know, go say hi or something. And they showed up, you know, in that, that very real way. And I remember everyone telling me, like, all we can see is your head. You know, you have to come back. We're worried. And I remember, you know, communicating with my my spirits, my elders, you know, that were telling me, like, you know, you know, we're here. You can feel us that we're here. And, you know, you need to go back to your friends now. And 
-hmm. not even, you know, three months later, I Mm -hmm. ended up having another dream. And at night I had a dream that my grandmother was, um, you know, she was in the um, room. Sorry, I have sleeping. It's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, It's all good. But I was was sleeping and in my dream, um, I... I, I was standing in, a, in an, a party, in a big party space, and I was with an ex-boyfriend, and I'm just, he was like the last guy I dated before I like fully decided that I couldn't date men anymore. And so I didn't understand why he was there, and I was kind of waiting through this party. And I heard somebody say, you know, baby girl, and I, I looked up. And I realized that my grandma was just sitting on a chair in the middle of like this bustling party. And she was staring. And I just remember, like, immediately starting to cry because I was like, holy shit. Like, that's, fuck, that's my mom. Like, I haven't seen her in so long. And I ran over to her. And she was, like, clearing her throat. She kept clearing her throat over and over again. And she was trying to drink from this cup. But it wasn't making it better. And finally, she said, can you get me some water? And she handed me the cup. And I looked at it to see what she was drinking. And it was dirt and oil in the cup. And when I looked back at my grandma, it, I couldn't tell if it was her, if it was me as an old woman. And wow. I woke up the next day and quit my job and, you know, started my journey to Standing Rock. And they were two different experiences, both with my grandparents and both that I felt one was indicative of my grandma's giving me the room and the space that I needed, the permission that I needed to stop grieving them. And to, you know, move mm-hmm. forward with my life. But then that second one kind of giving me that second trajectory for what it was I was going to be doing, you know, with those those next years in their stead. And I feel like since then that work has continually grown. And I just, I don't often see my grandmas, but when they pop up in the ways that they do, I'm very like keen to listen because I feel like, I mean, I don't know how they'd feel about the mushrooms, but I don't know how else I would have found them in a time of grief so great that I wasn't. I was one foot here and one foot there. I wasn't living in either reality. And I think that they really, you know, grounded me in a way that it was necessary and also just such a blessing. <laughs> so I think that those are like yeah. two, two separate things where I've just one that was, you know, medicinally yeah. supported, you know, through more than human kin and others that were just supported by, ancestors and you know I think folks really knowing that I needed I don't know I'm an Aries sometimes I just need to be like shouted at and told what to do and you know I don't take mm. direction very well so appreciate mm. it. wow wow those are thank you so much for sharing those experiences as I know they're tender and sacred and just um we're I'm honoring it and I hope everyone who's listening can feel the sacredness of that share um and the beauty and just like the visual storytelling that I felt in seeing you in that fairy ring and feeling them it was like um really touching thank mm-hmm. you thank you and so when you had that dream with your grandmother in the the cup with the dirt and the oil like what was your how did you interpret that into action you know honestly the i'd been learning all that week about the youth that had run or that were preparing at the time they were preparing to run to washington dc to ask that the pipeline be stopped and i remember thinking 
you know, like we have so many people in our community and like, you know, our youth could do that. And we could, you know, I'm just always hanging out with kids, always hanging out with young people. And so I remember thinking, you know, our, our youth could do that and thinking, how do I get our folks activated the way my grandmas were able to, the way my aunties and my uncles, like a lot of us, you know, my brothers and sisters and I talk about it a lot, but we're the, we're the elders in our community now, you know, and it's like, it's creepy to think about, but there are a lot of people that are gone and we're, we're, I mean, maybe not the elders, but the elders among, you know, the young people in our community. And I think for me, I was just thinking, dirt and oil, no water, no water. Like my grandma is sitting there and there's not, she's already gone, you know? And I remember thinking like my, my nation is an oil nation. We're one of, you know, nine tribes in the United States that still have, you know, relationships and contracts with oil and with fracking. And, you know, I, I was just, and when I looked back at her, I remember thinking like, my grandma, did she get sick because of the, the water supply? Did she get sick from, from what the oil was doing to the earth? Is that, you know, what stemmed, you know, you know what was the, uh, the illness caused from her? Was that like the early onset of those conditions that, you know, took her life so soon? Or, you know, am I going to be the person that's searching for water and I can't find any and I'm just, you know, continually like trying to pour from an empty cup? or pour into something that's like, you know, gonna detract from my ability to live. And I just remember having that dream and just being so horrified that that was my reality. And then after that, did you just decide to go to DC or to Standing Rock after that? So at that point, by the time I had the dream, the youth had begun their run and they were already en route to DC. and. I remember telling, you know, my mom, she, my mom, meaning my grandma, she used to um, do these runs with our other grandma and they would go to the Rosebud or the Pine Ridge Reservation from our reservation and they would take supplies all throughout our, you know, lives. They were doing this. They had relationships with people in those communities. And I remember thinking, you know, this past year, I was like, oh my gosh, my grandmas were doing mutual aid, you know, like it was, you know, cross country, mutual aid, national aid that they were providing. And so I remember calling my mom and telling her, you know, I want to do this thing. I want to go to this place. But I was driving a small car at the time and I needed to borrow her truck and trailer. And by the time I had quit my job and made it out of my city, made it to Northern New Mexico to meet my mom, she and my aunt had already coordinated with all of these other members of our community. And there was a 15 foot trailer attached to her truck and it was just piled high with donations that they had um, ready to go for Standing Rock. And I remember I was driving by myself and I was thinking like all these years, you know, I would watch my grandmas leave, you know, older women by themselves to drive across the country. And when I was driving across the country and the blatant racism, And the people, especially, you know, with the heightened sensitivity at the time to what was going on in the camps, people trying to run you off the road or even police officers pulling you over and like, you know, trying to search an entirely packed down, tarped up vehicle because you might be bringing something threatening into like the bustling metropolis of nowhere, Wyoming. Um, You know, like it was always something. And I remember thinking, you know, my grandmas would get speeding tickets, they'd get red light tickets, they'd get, I mean, it was always, they were always coming home with something. And the whole time I was thinking, you know, like, were they just fucking with them? Like this whole, you know, is it Uh just one continual game? And when 
you know, I had those mushrooms. I was so angry. You know, I really felt like, um, you know, one of my grandmas had been misdiagnosed by doctors for years. And she was like taking pills that were killing her kidneys. And when she was dying, all of the doctors were like, mm, probably cirrhosis, right? Like if it's a like liver issue. And I was like, it's a kidney issue because she was misdiagnosed. But thank you for playing into this stereotype that indigenous peoples are just A, B, or C, you know, and like feeling so bitter about that. And then feeling so bitter that, you know, my grandma didn't receive the care that she needed because she had a heart attack and her nurse slept through the alarm that was supposed to alert her that her, you know, heart monitor was going off because we're not prioritized in our communities. And I think that really manifested in my dreams. And I also think that like, I don't know, I'm, I'm also the type of person that writes down my intentions before I do anything with plant medicines. And I really felt like what I was hearing from the people who loved me was that they were worried that I wasn't that I was loving people who were gone to the point that I was also like going with them and spiritually that I was no longer in this earth, you know, like on this, on this ground with them. And so I really wrote down, you know, that I wanted, I wanted a path forward and I wanted comfort and I wanted, you know, a way to heal and not to say that standing rock was altogether healing. It had its own, you know, joys and tragedies as well. But I think definitely being present um, in a way I I wouldn't normally allow myself to be has, you know, resonated with me, especially in the last few years doing the work that I do, um, finding a way to just connect. And also I think that like God or creator, whatever, I think that gendering something that created universes is so funny to me. But whatever folks want to call it, I think that, you know, for me, that manifests in so many different ways. And I don't, some people, I think it's so beautiful. They can hear who they're talking to or they see signs from them, you know, or they, you know, they, you know, it's just different for everybody, I think. And for me, you know, like I have an auntie who passed away recently and she used to say like the roots of my my ancestors grow out of my feet and into this earth like when I walk mm. I feel like I'm at home I can feel it mm. like in my bones I know that where I am and my mom used to tell me you know wherever you are in you know North America Turtle Island that's home for you our people were a nomadic people we went north we went south and I've always carried that in me and I think that you know just being grounded and knowing that like these medicines come from many global indigenous nations, but are like healing folks across medicine lines and across boundaries um, has kind of been a blessing for me. And also um, being able to go outside and connect with the earth in a way that others don't know how to is also a blessing for me because I don't want to continually communicate the same things that people are saying or regurgitate borrowed words. Or I remember somebody saying like, no thought is original anymore. And I remember thinking, I think a thousand original thoughts a day and the internet is not indicative of everything that is my wholeness. And I just feel so grateful for people like you who are constantly um, grounding in what is real and what is not and letting go of the things. I feel very inspired when I see you just like communicate how much things are not for you. 
I think that at a certain point, even if it's hard, I've acknowledged what is or is not for me. And there are a lot of medicines that I tried in place of mushrooms that were not for me. But, you know, my ancestors Mm -hmm. definitely were like, nope, we don't Mm -hmm. go there. And um, that for me, I think, is also an awareness that I have gathered from, you know, mushrooms and my grandmas and all of these, you know, different mentors over the years is just that as much as we're raised in a society that makes us believe we are the epicenter of everything, you know, we are just pitiful. I have an auntie that says that about human beings. She says, we're just pitiful. We have to be taught how to do everything and how to find everything and grow everything in plants. They just do it no matter what. They just do it. And they like, they work together. My cellular network is so hot. Yeah, I know. And they don't waste. I mean, it is, it's such a, it's such an interesting, just like, how removed we are from the way that nature just operates together. Mm -hmm. And so as we spend so much more time in the digital space and people having been like apart from each other so much in this last year, I love what you just reminded me, like it created a softening in my body to hear you talk about your feet on the earth and being rooted into the earth. And it also, I felt sadness of just like, I've never like, oh, home is such a relative strange kind of um, a notion. And I've talked about this a lot with a lot of like, you know, kind of middle-class white people who just like, well, you leave your parents and you leave your community and you go to some college and you get college loans and then you're, you know, you're not home um, or you don't, you make a new home and then you make another home or another home or another home. And that may not be everybody's experience. So I'm not projecting that onto everyone who's, you know, in my um, demographic. But what I heard you say about putting your feet on the earth and feeling home wherever you are, um, do you feel like that's something that we have lost in the United States on a whole? Is it, do you feel like it's something that we can return home to, or do you feel like it's a new frontier of how we create a relationship to home, earth, each other, and this kind of, um, if you want to call it the boundaries of a country or the boundaries of a land mass, but I know that's a lot, that's like a lot of questions and concepts packed into one. Um, but yeah, how do we, how do we define home in this time in 2021 when so much of our awareness is pointed towards a screen? Hmm. I think that for me, um, my home is different and it transitions. Like if we're talking about people there are certain people that I feel home in that no matter what and where I am I feel like I'm at home and I feel like I'm okay and I'm not even talking about like my lovers or like and necessarily like my friends but like or even like my mom obviously like hugging my mama I feel at home she smells like something I've known you know like Toni Morrison I think said is like my mother's the only person that I've known from the inside out Maybe I'm wrong about who I'm quoting, but like she says, I'm one of two and she's talking about her twin and like they've just always known their mother's smell and her voice and her touch and like that parenting. And I feel like with my mom, I feel that same way, but also home is like 
when I see the burrito lady that sells on my res, you know, and it's just like, I haven't seen her in years, but then I see her and I'm just like, I know I'm home. doesn't even have to be a physical space. It's just that, or that tree that I used to climb when I was a kid and I see that tree and I just want to touch it and ask it if it remembers my hands the way I remember its bark. Or, you know, I think that people can find home in those ways. I think that there's also home in physical space and territory. And I think a lot of people here searching for home are not going to find it. And that's really hard, you know, to accept the fact that you are a nation of immigrants for the most part, you know, listening, not like you specifically, but like listeners, you know, many are nations of immigrants. Many are folks who are migrants, which I feel like is vastly different. You know, these territories have always been the lands that they've traversed. But I think right now in 21, people are looking for grounding. And I think that what I would tell them to find if they're looking for home at this time is not to try and buy land or that's like a thing right now. Like people are just really into finding the cheapest places to buy land and they're going there and they're like building these communes. And I'm just like, what about the indigenous nations? What about the water? What about the natural vegetation? What about your entering a space is going to change home for somebody else? I think that like I'm more seeking and inviting people to build home within community or to find home, you know, in the spaces that they can cultivate intentionally. Um, For me, you know, for a long time, I was traveling just because of the work that I did and I didn't have my own place. I would just stay with folks for periods of time. And so for me, home was also a lot about like bringing things that grounded me. Um, I used to carry jars of dirt, you know, from places like if I, if I got lonesome for seeing desert soil, like red soil, I had jars of dirt, Um, you know, things that smell good. Friends made me vials of different plants that I could keep that were dried. You know, if I got lonesome, like, Things like that. I also think that people just like are desperate to rebuild something that no longer exists. And I think that they're really just not contented to accept the fact that the house that we all live in, the roof has been like burning for so long that we can no longer almost live inside this house. And it's like, okay, how do we build something that can be more sustainable for the future? Because more people will need to be housed this idea of home is not going to disappear. We are going to need to create inviting, warm, welcoming spaces for other folks, but we're also going to need to do so um, with the full awareness that home for a lot of people means displacing folks from places that they've called home or that they've found safety in for, you know, millennia and centuries, but especially in these last decades, as the U.S. has kind of doubled down on its commitment to displacing people for war and then telling everybody we're keeping folks at home safe. And it's like, if you don't even know what home is, then how can you buy into the theory that like there are these omnipotent beings that are somehow protecting these safeties you can't actually define? And do you want to invite something that you can't see, touch, taste, or feel connect with on any sort of emotive level into your home and build your space around, you know, false advertising. I don't know. For me, I think Uh that right now 
a lot of what I'm doing is trying to separate, like, did I just trauma bond with this person communicating over things that we were experiencing this last year? Or are we like actually good friends who have like founded relationships in like an intentional way that will help me grow the community that I'm trying to build? Because personally, like I'm not in my twenties anymore and I don't need like more decades of shit. <laughs> I need I need to mm-hmm. be cultivating the spaces where when I see people and also in myself, when people see or are around me, they feel that same level of comfort, that same level of ease. Yeah. You know, I have a friend named Jade who's always like, show me your ease. And a lot of it is people mm. sharing, you know, snapshots of the spaces that they've cultivated to feel good. But for me, I always mm-hmm. just feel kind of bizarre about home also knowing that like they're hella and sheltered folks every everywhere I go. Everywhere. And how can I make yeah. a space for them? And what does home look like for them? And how can we tell the stories that need to be told so that like we're not just telling stories anymore, but making these, you know, visions a reality. So many people have yeah. beautiful ideas about how to build community even just like talking with my brother and sister, just like trying to measure our backyard, you know, how could we meaningfully pitch tents, you know, or what could we provide just so that like when folks who are in transition on nights when they don't have anywhere to go, like if we could just provide our yard, what would that look Mm -hmm. like? And then would that then become a home for somebody else? You know, I think Mm -hmm. that everyone, like I said, before I started rambling about this is like, you know, searching and trying to define home for themselves especially people who are of immigrant descent, whether or not their family's been in so-called America for like 500 years, or whether or not people have been brought here forcefully, who are here because of different diaspora, or who are here just simply because they've seen home and people and place and community modeled in such a way that they were impassioned to come be near it, because that's also something that happens for people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. All of that. And it does feel like the house has been burning down for a while. And it's just a part of what's happening and sitting in the discomfort of, yeah, like, it doesn't feel like a stable home, America on a whole, like, it doesn't feel like a stable family to be a part of. <laughs> like the parenting has been maybe like, kind of difficult for a few hundred years. I just also think too, though, like fire is so transformative. And so I'm also just like, y'all lean into it. Like if we're going to talk about leaning into uncomfortability for like all of these other things, then like, let's just get really real that like we're selfish as fuck. And we really don't care about the earth as much as we say we do, because we would make way more drastic changes and we would like cut ourselves off a lot sooner, myself included, you know? And I think that it's just like, accountability is also like I feel like I'm more real with myself when I'm here than when I'm out there and I feel like that's another way I want to invite people to find home too is just by like getting real and yeah being honest I had this conversation recently I was like look if people could just go look, hi, my inner child wound. So the last few years I had this inner child wound about being seen because see, my dad used to tell me I was a piece of shit all the time. So then I found this incredible thing called social media and I was like, oh my God, people can see me. And like, I just want to be seen. And I thought it was ugly. And I thought it was, you know, if people could just 
own part of that, you know, like I've been very honest, like, wow, part of me needed that healing. Now then don't get stuck there, right? Like don't create your whole identity on it. It's hard though Um, when like that's your only lifeline right now. And when you're praised for it, right? It's really difficult. And then it creates actually a psychological response that can be addictive. So it's, it's complicated, but I had like a little bit of a mini kind of tiff with someone about, about it. I was like, it's a, if you want to share a photo of your butt, it's okay. Just be honest. I really want my butt to be yeah. adored. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't try to pretend like you're, you know, blessing the world with a spiritual like yeah. <laughs> thing. Like just be like, Hey, I want to show off my ass. Yeah. I, I get that. <laughs> Sometimes I just have to put down my phone and I can't even look at it because people are here and I'm over here and we are just not the same and that's okay. Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice, and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound and Sounds True or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work back to the podcast that's okay and it's like you know a parade of kind of different levels of wounding trauma inner child playing out different dynamics some of which are conscious some are unconscious and and in in a space where there's not like a, a consequence or another nervous system right there it's kind of like a very um uh, uh, just a I don't know, the wild, wild west is the wrong thing to say to you. Um, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. It's a it's a place where um, the there's just like, I don't know, it, it's an unknown. Anything could mm-hmm. happen. I think that like folks really treat the world like it's an enigma. And in reality, I think that like having conversations like this, things make so much more sense if you're just like one-on-one with people. And I think that like, you know, people too often, I think even for me, I realize like I can't nationally organize. It's exhaustive. We are not from the same places. We do not have the same community needs. And we are all coming to this in a different place at a different time. And like, we're stressed out. We're tired. We're representing people. We're representing ourselves, representing ancestors. Like there's a lot of folks in the room, even the folks that aren't here in the room. And, you know, I think that like, just getting to the point where you can say that like the space that you want to build is small. I used to always say that I was going to end up like the old lady that lived in the shoe. Like I just love kids, you know, and I just wanted to be surrounded by them. But now that I like live with my siblings, um, I definitely feel like I have to give everybody time and attention and space. And I feel like that's more than anything. Like, yes, you know, like I want to, a lot of times know what happened in people's lives to make them behave the way they behave. I'm sure people think that about me, but I also just like, why well, I think people need that space and like the mystery to not be so great, you know, cause sometimes your mind just wanders, especially for me during this year of quarantine of just being like, it wasn't just bad. It was like the worst it could possibly be. 
where I didn't just have a crush. I was like madly, obviously falling in love, even though it was just (laughs) (laughs) thing that we're working through as a collective and it'll be okay. I just think that folks are leaning into, you know, what could or could not be for the world that we're trying to create and letting go of what isn't going to be ever again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to put it in the land of extremes is, is a really nice, like, yeah, encapsulation of a lot of the things that we're going through. And so I want to tell everyone listening, our our mutual friend, Ruby Warrington, did a great podcast with Aaron about, I think, two, two years ago. It's it's been I can't believe that time has passed, but I remember listening to it. I remember I was laying in this bed. I remember the room. I remember my heart was touched. I remember I was crying and I was really moved by the podcast. And um, I just want everyone else to listen to that podcast too, because I'm not asking Aaron the same questions. Time time has passed. Things are a little bit different. And that being said, I'd like to go into a little bit because I have you here and I know that part of your passion is really bringing light um, into certain spaces. If I, I think I said that sort of poetically vague enough. <laughs> and last year when we had Aaron come do a class, Um, for my mentorship program, it was really around decolonizing wellness and spiritual practices. And this topic has been, you know, it's been nicely, nice is the wrong word. It's been thoroughly kind of um, uh, entered or or thrust into a a lot of mainstream conversation, especially um, in women's spaces, spiritual spaces, I don't even know what you would call them, honestly, because there's so many. The, the, this conversation, I think, has traversed so many different, like other conversations. So I, I, it may just be on a whole that we have, in this last few years, asked ourselves, we Americans. I don't even know if every American, who are who are the people that have actually been doing this self-inquiry. I can only speak for myself (laughs) and the women around me, honestly, because I don't know who else is doing it. But myself and the women around me, at least for the last three years, have been really asking a lot of questions about who we are, what practices we do, where we're pulling from. Should we do this? Should we do this? How are we contributing? How are we not? How are we, you know, all of these things. I'm not going to get into all of it because it's such a huge conversation. That's why I'm saying go listen to also Ruby's podcast with Aaron because Aaron lays out with like a line of fire that will sort of, you know, it's going to take your courage to stick with it. But maybe after the pandemic, you've been through enough that that will actually, you'll be like, that was easy. (laughs) But in terms of so post um, post Standing Rock, post first year of COVID, post Black Lives Matter, how how do you feel a that your work as an activist has actually taken root, and and then how, where do you feel it's going um, in terms of like this conversation that we've all been in? Not all. Again, all I know is myself <laughs> and a few of the people around me. So I can't speak for the whole country. But um, so, so where have some of those um, greater uh, uh, illuminations taken root in people? Have you noticed in your work? And then where do you feel like they're going and they're still like, guys, wake up. Like, it's not you need to pay attention here. Mm. 
I think that the internet fucked a lot of progress up this last year because people didn't have to see anybody in community that they didn't want to see. If they were behaving in a way that they needed to be held accountable for, they could just block people and it was kind of just that was it. Because no one was going to show up on your door, come to your yoga studio or sit outside right. the restaurant and say something to you or, you know, it wasn't like that. Um, for me, I felt like a lot of folks that I had been in conversation with, I was like, did you, have you ever heard me? Like, do you, do you hear us when we talk? And like, do you, do you really hear that it's not just about you copying our beadwork style or the fact that like you'd rather buy tribal print from Etsy than pay an indigenous person who designed the print or, you know, the fact that you think that you still have the right to teach like ayahuasca classes as, you know, someone who grew up in like suburban Wisconsin or, you know, like, I mean, there are just different things that I feel like people have become abundantly um, courageous about the ways in which their entitlement and privileges have shown up. And with, for me personally, the pandemic, seeing the ways in which community, some of them showed up and the ways in which others was did not was very, very loud. And a lot of what I saw from healer communities, specifically non-Indigenous, non-global Indigenous um, communities, was that they had all of the capacity to heal and none to offer to the community that needed it. Um, a lot of the people that reached out to do fundraisers for our organization when we were providing mutual aid supplies and donations to community, um, a lot of them I thought, you know, I kept putting out there like, how do we heal the healers, you know, and my friend Fatima asked that question a lot, you know, how are we pouring back into the people who are pouring everything out to keep the community going, and I remember thinking, at some point, you know, we would have people offering to do Reiki sessions or um, massage therapy or, you know, I mean, within reason, I mean, but everyone did things during COVID. Everyone acts like there was just like this holier than thou situation where no one fucked up during COVID. And like, they just made it through on the other side. And if they're vaccinated, then they just like did everything they needed to and checked all the boxes and moved on with their lives. And in my yeah. brain... I just really felt like folks hoarded what they had. And even if it was just knowledge and not physical supply, they hoarded that. Um, I felt like a lot of people could have been taking the opportunity to learn from communities who were like mostly online for the first time ever because they were losing cultural knowledge keepers um, at an alarming rate. You know, I mean, it was like one in every 475 Native Americans died last year. Like, and it was our knowledge keepers, our language keepers. There were so many people that were being lost and even globally so many people that were being lost. And I felt like I saw none of the people who had led so many trips to different places to go do these retreats or these healing ceremonies or these bravery whatevers, you know, like I saw none of them turning money over to those communities that were being impacted. 
which brings into mm-hmm. light another conversation too, is just that like I've, Seeding Sovereignty has been working with folks. Um, we don't like to speak about things that are not our lived experience um, unless we have community that can speak about it themselves. And so we've been working with folks who are Indian, who are also diasporic people who have been displaced from their homelands, um, you know, that identify as Southeast Asian um, Indian, you know, folks that are being greatly um, impacted right now by COVID-19. And a lot of them are asking, you know, where are the folks that have the namaste shirts and where are the folks that are doing their yoga and who are these yoga masters or these Reiki masters or these folks who have greatly benefited from Indian community for so long. Um, and, you know, folks that have opened up the, you know, fusion restaurants, you know, where where are these folks and where is their support? And so I feel like for me, a lot of what I felt is just like people either, A, were going through it to the point that they couldn't focus on anything else, which is valid. Um, B, they're still too chicken shit to figure out how to do things that they're like explicitly being asked to do, even if they're being given all of the steps and the ways to plug in which is also valid, but not my style. Um, you know, after like something, I try really hard to just be brave about it. And again, not everyone can do that. So I recognize that. But um, the last thing I saw was just that the people that were, were standing up and that were helping, many of them were herbalists and many of them were elders. I didn't see the younger folks doing it as much. And when I asked my older herbal you know, relatives, why they were doing this. A lot of them said, because we've had decades of taking from other communities and it's only right that we give back. We've been living on their lands. We've been growing foods. We've been selling plant medicines that we have cultivated, even if we have done it in reciprocity with the land, even if we've done it with intention, we've still been taking, we've still been extracting in some way, even energetically from the land. And they wanted to give back because they had been taught that that was the way. And I just felt like, did it really take decades for y'all to hear the people in your community? And am I going to be saying the same thing over and over again for decades in order for people to hear me? I don't think that's the case. I just think that people got really fucking scared. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just totally ate at people's like progress, and I don't fault them for that. I just get frustrated because in the age of the Anthropocene, we don't have time to wait, and I just get so frustrated because people will binge watch a four season show but can't sit for an hour to listen to an indigenous elder say something that will surely change their mind about the world that they're living in and benefiting from. Oh, that, that. I don't know. It's just, it's been frustrating to watch the world prioritize technology in such a way and prioritize their commitment to not being in community while saying that their community building with no long-term plan for how they're going to engage in the physical space they're holding, most likely as guests from other territories. Yeah. It's like, how do we, how do we uproot this notion that many of us have been indoctrinated into of like, I must get resources, get things and keep them to be safe. Right. It's like, and 
where is the line for any given person listening to this podcast? Where is the line of what you actually need and what you can share? And, you know, I've totally like taken more than I need from this planet at times and then felt terrible about it. And, you know, kind of been in that cycle of like sparkly object. Oh my God. Yes. And then, oh my God, no, you know, it's to, to, pull out that capitalist root, you know, that like we were fed over and over again on repeat as children. How do we, how do we do that? You might not, you know, I don't expect you to have the solution to the whole, the whole world's problem with capitalism, but it seems strange that we live in a world where there's enough for everybody, but we just can't get it in our heads or figure out how to distribute it or to share. And I'm wondering, like you mentioned the youth, I'm wondering like, is there still hope for the younger people that like maybe could get like not get sort of like grabbed by the ankles of, of this capitalist individualistic notion? Like, is there still hope for anybody or is like, the earth going to just get us and say, forget it. You guys didn't get the memo about like caring for each other and sharing. Like, what do you think? And that's a big philosophical question. I think that, I mean, if the earth wants to do that, praise be like, we fucked up and you good it girl. Like, I'm sorry, but I mean, I hope not. And I don't think it's hopeless. I know that people always say like, you make me feel like shit after I hear you talk. No, 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 no. you're giving a very gentle errand. I just feel like people tell me that or they feel like, you know, they feel like so hopeless after I, you know, say things. But honestly, like, my fear is not the youth. Um, My fear is everyone they're going to come up against who is holding on with dead death grip, you know, to this old world, to these old ways that are just so broken. Like I don't hang out with any young people that aren't fully aware of the world that they're in and who put them in the situation that they're in. I also don't hang out with many kids that are straight. So I think that also seeing to me a world that is gender gradient provides you the ability to see the world in a spectrum you know, our earth in a way that like not a lot of people do. And these queer kids, they're not just looking at one facet of their world, you know, they're looking at the land and the water and the bugs and the mushrooms and the trees and the air and the llamas and the, you know, like they, they're for it. They're for life. And like the thing that I think people forget is that like, we have witnessed so much death you know, collectively as a society, especially folks that are older and especially now living as a resident in an occupied land that was founded on genocide. Like we have seen death. We carry the trauma in our blood memory of, you know, those that have come before and how they've come to pass. I mean, there's just so much that we carry in our spirits at all times with these kids. I don't know. I don't worry about them and they're my hope to be honest, because when I see these young people that are, you know, self-organizing or they're doing things for their community 
Um, down here, I got a text today from a teacher of mine, a teacher friend of mine, actually, who reached out and said, you know, my students wanted to make um, kits for unsheltered folks because they know that, like, the weather has been kind of hard recently, and will you guys pass them out? because they would be too much for them to get permission. And then like there's the state mandates around COVID and all these things. And so they asked, you know, would your group, you know, put them out for folks if, you know, they made them. And I'm just thinking like, how did, how did they know that that was a thing that could happen? You know, they're, they're watching us actively, everything that we do. I see everything modeled that I do with my younger siblings or with my nieces and nephews and my babies like all of them are copying actively. And I think that the more people I'm like, what makes me feel hopeless is that I don't want them to mirror things that they don't need to see or to be told that the world, that the lenses that they look through and see the world through are wrong or that there's something you know wrong with the way that they see things. One of my most favorite and the most like, hopeful things for me is just hearing young people tell me stories about how they see the world and the ways in which they can make it better because it's just I think we overcomplicate things and young people see things on such a simple beautiful level that you know it's just I remember you know someone telling me like I think it was my grandma like you never talk to a kid from here down like this you always come down to their level and you meet them eye to eye. And she, she always told me, like, when you're meeting them eye to eye, you're seeing things from the perspective that they see them in. And do you like feeling reduced? Do you like being made to feel small or like your ideas aren't reaching where you want them to reach? And ever since hanging with children in the way that I have and being a youth worker and doing this work ultimately for future and living ancestors is, you know, trying to see things from the perspective um, that I don't normally see them. I'm almost six feet tall, you know, getting getting on the ground to talk to a child. Or I had an ex-partner who would pray for the earthworms. And I remember thinking, you know, when the oil was flowing, who was going to be most impacted if the oil spilled? And all I could think of were the earthworms, you know, and my partner, ex-partner talking about how, you know, we needed to pray for them first. I just think that there are so many, again, beautiful ways to view the world. It's just we have to spend time communicating and talking story um, to see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So much beauty and depth and, um, yeah, it's a lot there and I hope that just in hearing those words you know it can come into people's mind heart experience as like that on the like on the basic level it's not about like okay you need to change who you are everybody right now and like get rid of everything and like turn it upside down your whole life but like that on the basic level, it's like learning how to think about, oh, what about the earthworms, you know? And um, if that leads you to donating a portion of your income, awesome. If it leads you towards donating a portion of your time to creating things for others or alleviating the suffering of others, awesome. Like if it just leads you to picking up a piece of trash in your neighborhood, awesome. Or starting a community dinner, but 
the 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 way of of thought the 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 way of thought and being and that came with that came with my incarnation into this into this country in Miami Florida in 1984 um the way of, it's just it doesn't work anymore and i think that more and more um people are feeling it in different ways and at different times and obviously you can't rush people to think about the earthworms you know but if you can just hold in your heart whoever's listening that though that that there's a shift in awareness it's it's i always say this when i'm like coaching someone or working with them it's like it's not the outside in it's the inside out you know you could do an action on the outside and your your awareness is the same and you just go back to being the same old you but if you're actually like asking the questions on the inside like why don't i care about the earthworms why don't i think about my neighborhood my neighborhood or my community why don't i know the woman who lives next door like why don't i um give a portion of my income away and like asking those questions before you just kind of like go into blind action out of guilt or out of shame or out of like fear but asking yourself the questions to me that line of inquiry is a part of the healing um part of the where the break of 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 the relationship with nature or humanity or each other like there's like a, a coming into union there of like oh right what if i did care about my neighbor or my community or the environment around me what what might that look like so i just think that you know i mean quickly to go just back to memory yeah is that when you're asking yourself those questions that you just mentioned you're asking them of the ancestors that brought you here what this is some people came here because they had no other choice most people were brought here as indentured slaves originally brought here as indentured slaves because they were seen as rapists or thieves i mean people really love talking about how they have this long history here and i'm like look at your history really look at it really really get to the nitty gritty of what your history is because when you are being accountable to yourself you are also taking into account the fact that there are other people that exist inside of you and it's not your mm-hmm. responsibility i know people say well i didn't do that you know if that was my answer i didn't do that and it's like no you didn't do that but some part of you some piece of you was a part of them and some part of them wants to still be a part of this world in some small way every ancestor every spirit you know manifestation reincarnation all of these things every community talks about how somehow some way people come back and if there is someone within you that is trying to come back in some way maybe it's not maybe that shadow work that needs to be done and it's hard to look at i'm half white a lot of my ancestors do very problematic things sometimes within me that make me at war with myself and i have to- <laughs> i love how you, you said know, that there like, it's i have to remind myself that sometimes it's not me that's fighting the battle it's the people that predated me and exist within me and i can choose to acknowledge them in the same way that i'm choosing to acknowledge the earthworms and you know leaving yeah. out a cup of water for the birds or whatever you know it is like you said there are different ways to people for people to tap in i just think that there are a lot of conversations that haven't yet been had and maybe yeah. through this podcast me saying a bunch of things will spark folks's interest in what they feel like they might meaningfully engage with 
Because also, too, yes. the goal is never to make people, um, to force people to do things. Like we want people to consent to the help that they're trying to give because yeah. otherwise yeah. it's not helpful. It's just contrived. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And what you said about the shadow work, it's like, it's such the core of like what's just here and happening. And yet I hear people in communities around me personally avoid it all day and all night. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not around that as much anymore just because it doesn't resonate with me. And like, I, I'm like, that's just, I'm not over the healing. I'm not over the, you know, the pain and like it still exists just as it exists in each one of our personal narratives because probably my ancestors, like the trauma that my parents had that I have that I'm now with a partner that has, like, we're just, we're still working it through. Like, it's just still a present part of the conversation. A lot of people want to just do a weekend class or a ceremony or a, you know, few years of therapy and it's done. And I, in my own experience, it's not that easy. You know, it's actually an ongoing conversation, um, which I like that you're mentioning that you're having not only with yourself, but with your ancestors and not trying to rush that conversation to be done, like to check off that you got your shadow work done. Well, also your ancestors have the right to consent to speak with you too, right? And that's mm. another thing that like, I mean, that's a separate conversation, but like mediums and folks that reach out and feel like they're just because they have the right or the ability to connect that they have the right to. And I just yeah. feel like we don't ask for consent in almost every facet of our lives. Even, yeah. you know, just practicing consent, if anybody could take that away within your own body and with your your tiny little bubble that you're in, you know, like just asking, you know, checking in, do I want to go for a walk today or am I doing it because somebody needs to see it online? Am I, you know, taking mm -hmm. this class because I really want this healing or am I doing it because my friends are or, you know, grounding right. in. I even feel like with you, you know, y'all are doing too much healing work, but also you're a healer. Those are ancestors inside of you that are like at work too. So I feel like, you know, I don't know what they're doing. Know, I'm like, guys, I, like I wanted to be a ballerina. <laughs> I feel like you ask a lot of really good questions and I'm grateful that people that get to learn from you at least get to learn how to listen and how to like receive in a way that isn't like, critical of self and more just like aware of the fact that like other people have different lived experiences because we all do. And even as hard as I can get when I'm speaking, I also acknowledge that like people are at different intersections or, you know, whatever. And we got, all, you yeah, know, they are. You know, but, you, but we didn't, you didn't give the Aaron Fry <laughs> today, you know, like I, but, but, but I don't think you need to do. And I think that I really hope people will listen, not because you need to get fried by Aaron, but I hope you'll listen to the podcast a few years ago with Ruby because it was coming right off Standing Rock and there was a lot more heat in the air at that moment and it was just a different time. Um, and I appreciate like um, all the different levels that we give at certain moments of our, of our presence and different parts of our heart that come through. So I could keep talking to you forever and I just want to honor and respect your time. So, um, Will you tell us like how we can support you, engage with you if there's projects or things coming up for people that want to actually learn more about you as well and the work yeah, you do? I would say that we are relaunching our website. So folks can now go to 
seedingsovereignty.org. But if they look for it in a little, you know, in the coming month or so, they might see something different. So to just be okay with that and roll with that, we're excited. Um, but also we have um, a link, which I um, can provide to you again for our global giving. Yep. And basically um, that's a platform where um, some of our biggest projects that we're working on are receiving support right now for things that we're doing for the spring and summer seasons. So um, we have in there, um, you know, like a black trans led um, garden and farm that's actually going to help us, you know, provide food to our community here. We have um, a program called Medicine Wheels, which is, you know, all wheels for everybody rolling up together and doing things that aren't, you know, just centered around skateboarding necessarily, but, you know, all avenues of travel by wheel. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, my program Storytellers, um, there's a lot of different places that folks can learn about us if they go to one of those sites and okay, learn about great. the healing work that we're trying to do and the ways we're trying to build. Amazing. And I would just recommend... A, get to know Seeding Sovereignty in the work and like follow Erin online for Follow Seeding Sovereignty and just begin to just feel, you know, the work and um, participate if you can in person. I haven't, I've never like, because we've met in this time that hasn't, there hasn't been anything though. I do remember when you guys were doing something in New York and like, I think my friend Kip played and it was like at the Brooklyn Bowl or something. I wasn't there, I was out here, but um. Um, but, in a, and if you have some funds and you like to become acquainted, not just to, you know, kind of like relieve guilt, but become acquainted with like, wow, I'd love to give a part of my earnings towards something. And then actually following the projects, you know, like as cheesy as that may sound being like, okay, cool. Like I want to support this project and I want to see it. And maybe one day I will drive out there and I will see it, you know, and I will become more acquainted in person. And I think that's the end result or the desired result for me is like to actually be in person in moments and not just kind of have them, um, you know, a sterile, like, here, let me donate money or whatever, but to get to know the project, to follow the project online and to see what's going on. Um, and I can super vouch for this as being a, an amazing place to, to share some of your resources. Thank you so much. And just beyond that too, I think, you know, folks don't often know that we're based in several different states. So if you do have skills or you do have things that you might be able to offer or share with community, and you're just not sure how you can do that, um, you can email us at connect at seedingsovereignty.org. And, um, you know, we're always looking for random things, to be honest, people that can edit or people that can graphic design, folks that, you know, might have access to, you know, soil or, I mean, you know, just random things all the time. So we're always for that yeah. offering and even to plug you in if we're not the organization we know folks that could use support nationally and we're, we're glad to do that as well oh my gosh we'll put all of these links in the show notes and so you know, you guys can have um the space to check everything out thank you so much Erin thank you for I love that our conversations over time have like just shifted and evolved and matured and we've gotten a little bit older and then you know uh, people could eventually listen to them in order. But for now, you know, this is a wonderful way um, to begin. So thank you so much for bringing your heart and your work with us here today. Oh, thanks, Sib. We'll talk to you all soon and have a good day, everybody. Stay hydrated and safe. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo 
And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.